Welcome to Halfway There. I'm Eric Nevins, and this is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. My guest today, he is the pastor of church multiplication with the church at Brook Hills in Birmingham, Alabama. Interested to talk to him about that. He's a missiologist. He's got his own podcast. We're going to talk about that for sure. And a blogger. So a lot of good content for you to, to pick up from this one. And he's the author of um, a new book um, or editor, and we'll talk. We'll get into that coming up here as well. With me is JD Payne. Hi, JD. Hi, Eric. Thanks so much for allowing me to be with you. I'm really excited that you are. This is a great connection, and I'm really eager to hear all about you and your story. And we'll just uh, kind of dig into it. I gave just Certainly. a little bit of an overview. Um, can you just tell us a little bit of what God's doing in your life right now, and then we'll go back and see how you got here? Yeah, certainly. Um, well, I've uh, uh, been here for five and a half years, and so so right now we uh, we're, we're seeing the Lord do some exciting things with our with our congregation and and seeing people sent to to make disciples of all nations, both within uh, the United States and throughout the world. Uh, we've been seeing uh, people going on church planning teams uh, to work among unreached people groups, uh, not only outside of North America but also within North America, and using their vocations and marketable skills. That uh, would obviously be a little bit non-traditional from what most um, most churches are involved in when it comes to sending out church planters, and uh, and then just recently I've been involved in, in assisting our our global disciple making team as as the interim uh, global disciple making pastor. Uh, our, our global disciple making pastor he uh, he passed away a few months ago, and so helping provide some leadership uh, in that area in this time as well. All right, stepping in there. What does it look like to be a little bit non-traditional with uh, church planning, you said? But what does that look like for you? Yeah, well, um, you know, when you when you look at the scriptures related to planting churches, I, I really see something that, that looks a great deal uh, that's different from what we're seeing typically done within a North American context, and that is— it, it looks more apostolic, more missionary, uh, more Romans 15, not building on someone else's foundation, uh, than pastoral. Mm. Uh, the pastoral approach is there, but uh, the desire is for the team to to appoint elders, raise up elders out of, out of the new churches that are planted. So, you know, you like look at Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey, Acts 13 and 14. They, they go into an area, they do evangelism, they they gather those new disciples that just came out of the harvest, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, gather them together to self-identify as the local expression of, of, of Christ's universal body in Derby or Lystra or Iconium. And then uh, it talks about them returning to those churches to not only strengthen those churches, but also to appoint elders there. And and so for us, it's within North America kind of running with, with those two thoughts in mind. Romans 15, not building on someone else's foundation. So we want to go after the unreached people groups living within mm. uh, the United States, and and most people do not know this, but the United States behind India and China, uh, the United States is the third largest country in the world when it comes to the number of unreached people groups living uh, within our borders. And so we want to go after those folks to make disciples and see churches planted among them, and we want to raise up pastors out of those people after they come uh, into the kingdom after they're taught to obey all that Christ commanded, and and see them uh, leading their own churches, and see them involved in local and global uh, disciple making oh, yeah. as well. 
Wow, that's fascinating. So what kind of people groups are we talking about in the United States? Well, there are many. There are many, um, almost 300 as of this point in time. Uh, the, the research is still going on. It's about 280-something. Uh, the research is still going on in the U.S., um, but uh, we're looking at uh, almost 300 uh, unreached people groups. So you have um, you have Afghans all over the place. Largest concentration mm-hmm. would be in the Bay Area of the you know, Fremont, uh, San Francisco area, Oakland area, uh, 60,000, 70,000 that are there. You have uh, Somali uh, living in in very large concentrations, not not only in Minneapolis, of you know, uh, probably 80, 90, 100, some of you said up to 100,000 there. Obviously, the government numbers and field-based realities often differ. Uh, but sure. you also see large concentrations of Somali uh, in Seattle. You see them in Columbus. You see them scattered in small areas, uh, even 5,000 in Kansas City. You, you have 3,000 Moroccans in, in Orlando, Florida, the largest concentration of Kurds, of Almost twelve thousand living in Nashville, Tennessee, and 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 it just can you know we can just continue going on. I mean, largest Arab Muslim concentration in the Detroit area, um, large number of Yemeni living in the Metro New York area, uh, including yeah. a multitude of other groups under the sun. So, so there are large numbers. It's almost if you can come up with with the group, uh, you will find them here. Now there are exceptions. There are people groups that do not migrate. There are unreached people groups that will never migrate uh, outside of their countries of birth, but there are there are large numbers that are found within our borders. Yeah, so the mission field is coming here, is what you're saying. It, it is, and the, the sad thing is, is that um, evangelicals are just now starting to slowly open their eyes to this reality, yeah. and the truth is, is that they have been here for uh, for centuries, right? For centuries, and and it's it's just it's just now slowly catching catching people's attention. Oh, that's good! Wow, I love that. I have a friend. He was actually on the podcast a f- maybe a month or so ago, um, who works at a Chinese church in Detroit, mm-hmm. and so he he uh, is the English pastor there. But he, you know, it reminds me of him. You know, kind of yeah, yeah. And, and you know, something else, that just something that came to my mind as well is. Um, uh, obviously, I'm talking about unreached people groups, but a large number of those that that migrate or have migrated here uh, are followers of Christ. They mm. they came to faith in Christ, you know, in in their country of birth. I mean, for for 200 years, you know, Protestants went, and the Holy Spirit did exactly what He said He would do, and they've come to faith. Churches have been planted, and and they've moved, and so. We now see, for example, we had a, we had a guy here on staff with us just recently. He uh, he had been serving in our children's ministry. Uh, white uh, white guy, young white guy, and uh, the local one of the local Chinese uh, congregations churches uh, brought him on their staff to be their English pastor. Yeah, and and it's because they're second, third generation, uh, you know, Chinese. They're more comfortable with with English and right. more comfortable with a lot of mainstream, you know, American culture in general. And so it's it's just very interesting to to see that happening. Yeah, that is. Well, wow. very exciting. It's, it's exciting to see the body of Christ and and, and all that the Lord is doing, even yeah. even crossing those those cultural gaps. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's very important for the church to embrace crossing the culture cultural gaps. Mm-hmm. I think that's so good. Um, Okay, well, cool. Well, tell us me a little bit about how you came to Christ and and what your what that was experience was like for you. Yes, uh, I grew up. I didn't grow up in Alabama. I uh, I grew up in in southeastern Kentucky, and uh, actually a town of about eight thousand people called Corbin, home of the very first 
KFC. So <laughs> there you go. There's there's the claim to fame. Okay, so Corbin has given us two great things in the in the history of the world: <laughs> fried chicken and JD. Well, you know, so three about three miles from where I grew up, <laughs> from my mom's home, uh, is where the where the Colonel started frying it in Kentucky, and uh, awesome. so I grew up there. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, but, but while I was, while I was young, um, my, my parents divorced when I was, when I was three, uh, but while I was young, um, you know, I, we were on and off with church attendance, my mom, my mom and I, and, and so when, when I was in the sixth grade, I had, um, had a sixth grade school teacher who invited, uh, invited me and invited my friend, uh, to actually, uh, a revival uh, service with his church in town. They were doing some kind of youth night or something like that. And and so my mother and I actually ended up going. Uh, at that time, you know, she was looking for, for a church to be a part of. And so we, we ended up going. And eventually she ends up joining that church. And so for the next, um, for the next several years, uh, we're, we're there with that congregation. When I was in uh, in high school, when I was in high school, the uh, the same church was having another revival uh, series or revival service one week, and I was able to attend, but uh, was well, I was un- I was able to attend all the dates, but I was unable to attend the night that they had the youth night again. So it was like pack a pew with all your friends or whatever, you know, those, those kind of those traditions. And I was unable to attend. However, uh, it was the largest church, you know, in this small town. They had they had actually they actually televised it on a local TV station, and so there were probably you know three people watching. But um, I stayed home that evening because I could not be there. My mother was gone, and so I wanted to watch it on TV. And so I I watched the uh, the service that was televised that night, and and it was it was that night that I realized that. Um, I had a tremendous amount of of, of fear uh, in the Lord's return and the judgment to come, and it wasn't the, the type of fear that we as followers of Jesus are supposed to have toward God. It was it was a fear of 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 being separated from Him because of my sin, and and it was that night uh, I was uh, uh, a freshman, I believe it was a freshman in high school, that I. Uh, you know, Paul talks about he preached uh, in Acts twenty twenty one repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and so so it was that night that I I repented of my sin, uh, and I placed my faith in Christ, and so uh, was baptized later, officially you know, joined that church, and and so that's that's been my journey on how how I came came to faith. Yeah, I love that. Very interesting that revival uh, that God used to bring you to Him. Not only revival, but television. Yeah, uh, a televised revival gathering. I love that. Um, it's it, it, yeah, it's it's definitely not not what you often hear right. these days. That's for sure. Well, I'll tell you what. That's one of the things I love about doing this and asking people this question um, all the time is because you see things that God does just constantly, and it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily matter the venue or whatever. If God wants mm-hmm. to reach somebody, He does. And uh, that's right. I just always find that fascinating. Well, very cool. Yeah. Well, so you were already involved in the church then at that point. Mm-hmm. So did you have some mentors there who you let know that you had come to Christ? Did they disciple you, or what was that early experience like? There, I mean, the the extent of 
of of discipling uh, after one's conversion was was for the most part just Sunday school attendance, mm-hmm. worship attendance, uh, read your Bible. Uh, every now and then there'd probably be like a class for new new believers, uh, but but no, there was never any sort of uh, one-on-one mentoring or anything like that. Uh, but by God's grace, I just I just developed a hunger for for His Word and uh, a desire to to grow in my faith, and so so I was very faithful in in our weekly Sunday school meetings and our weekly youth group meetings and worship attendance and and it was soon after that i became very um very passionate about sharing my faith so 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 early on had that desire to 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 share this good news with other people and and there were uh, there were a couple of two or three men i can think about uh in those early years that when they when they saw me growing in my faith, and then later on, when I began to communicate to them that I, I really felt like the Lord was was calling me into vocational ministry, into pastoral ministry, uh, they began to to mentor and pour into me mm. um, more so. But in those early days, there there really wasn't anything going on, and that, I, mean, I think that's sad. I think that's a sad, yeah. sad uh, situation. But but as I've talked to people over the years, I found that that to be very common. Yep. Um, you know, see people come to faith, and and the, the the teaching aspect of what Jesus has told us to do is is you know you show up and you know we'll have this information dump right into you, and that's the extent of it sometimes. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think that is similar to my experience, although there were at times pe- certain people who, you know, took it from a certain angle or whatever. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I hear that. And then, um, but I hear in you, not not just, you know, maybe you didn't have a particular mentor, but you did seem to have that kind of early, there's, there's a kind of a phase a lot of people go through of learning or kind of hungry for the word and and uh, whether that's slow and over time or, you know, sometimes people will be like, I read mm-hmm. the Bible every day for three years and read it cover to cover six times or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether or not that's, you know, that's an extreme example. But it, I do hear that kind of passion in, in your in that period of time in your life. It, it, was, it was there. And I think that it was, again, a combination of a variety of things. Over the years before I came to faith, there was this. Uh, you know, teaching, attending vacation Bible school, uh, you know, uh, trying to create a God-fearing home atmosphere. Uh, my grandparents were believers. Uh, you know, so I, I, you know, my earliest, my earliest religious type of memory or experience was, um, you know, several years prior to my conversion experience of, of, of driving down a gravel road in the the middle of of nowhere in southeastern Kentucky to to go to a worship gathering in this this very rural uh, with this rural uh, you know country uh, congregation church um, that uh, my grandparents was were a part of and and so I, I still still remember that as kind of my first memory but but I think all of those those years just building up you know the Lord used that. Uh, that I could see those those things about what it meant to be a follower of Christ, even though I personally didn't know that. Yeah. Well, that sort of led you into uh, feeling like you were called to ministry. Mm-hmm. Where'd that take you? 
Well, no one, to my knowledge, now I'm, I'm sure I can go back and find some folks uh, that were ministers or pastors, but uh, as far as in my lifetime, I've never met another individual, you know, in my family that was that was a pastor. So there was no immediate model for me as far as family is concerned. I mean, obviously, my saw my pastor on on Sundays, and um, and so that 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 I think left an impression on me. Uh, it was not something that I wanted to do. In fact, uh, mm. I ran from it. I really did. Uh, I was a I was a junior in high school. Uh, was uh, approaching college, and I already had my direction, my plan mapped out. I was going to go into agriculture science, and you know, the Lord, Lord, I could, I can serve you by in in you know, in the marketplace that way. And you know, if you want me to be a missionary in another country, I mean, what better way? I mean, I'd be involved <laughs> in you know agriculture science and da 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 da. da. But um, Obviously, you know, God was not into the uh, the negotiation, uh, you know, time, and and so there was just this growing sense. So it's kind of the best way I can describe it. Just this growing sense um, within my heart that the Lord wanted me to 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 shepherd, to pastor, to preach uh, to His people. And um, I remember being in, in worship gatherings and. I would hear my pastor, and again, keep in mind, I've never taught a class or anything like that, uh, let alone ever preached a sermon before during a worship gathering. I, I would hear my pastor preach, and then there would be something in in my mind, in my heart. Well, not a critical uh, spirit or attitude, not a judgmental thing, but it was it was to the effect of, you know, JD, if if you were doing this, you know, you you could say it this way. Or you could use these words, mm. and I would try to push that out of my mind as fast as it would come in. I would be doing homework at night. Uh, I would have these just in my mind's eye, just out of nowhere, uh, this this vision, if you will, just again uh, in my in my in my mind yeah. of me preaching a sermon. And I would try to push it out of my mind, um, and the and I could not. It would just stay there until I actually just thought through the process of what that would possibly look like and. And of course, every time I'd give them an invitation at the end of that sermon, you know, millions of people would come over uh, right. too. You know, of course, there'd only be 20 people in the audience, but you know, millions would come <laughs> down the aisle. Um, and again, I would run, I mean, I pushed that out. I'd run from it. There was this sense of more and more of, of just the Lord just stirring in my heart in, in that direction, just with within my, my spirit. And and I got to, and I would run from it. And the, and the farther I would run, the harder I'd run, the, the heavier the finger of the Holy Spirit would just push down on me. And I felt like I was just breathing the dust of the ground because I was, I was running, you know, from God. I, you know, mm-hmm. I even said, no, you know, I'm not going to go in that direction in my, in my devotion time with him. And I, and, and as I pray, as I'd be in the word, you know, these, these ideas, these thoughts, these kind of this subjective pulling uh, in that direction was there. Finally, I came to the realization one night that if I continued, well, first of all, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I cannot tell him no. And the second thing was, was that if I continued to say no, uh, in all likelihood, one day I would wake up in the belly of a fish. <laughs> and and so uh, I remember very vividly that night of, of repenting of my sin, of, of wanting to go in my own direction, 
and fighting and resisting this and saying yes to the Lord. And I mean, it was it was the 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 relief was instantaneous. It was, it was as if the Lord took this fifty ton boulder and immediately lifted it off of my shoulders. Yeah. And haven't looked back since then. So that's how my journey. You know, ended up in that direction. Did not know what all that meant at the time at all. And the Lord revealed more as I've you know journeyed with him. But that's that's how it started. Yeah. Well, well, that's interesting. So obviously Jonah was uh, impactful on you. <laughs> but but I love that. It's true. You know, it's it's. Uh, so how do you think that shaped you? Like having so having resisted and feeling like mm-hmm. okay, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, be a faithful follower, but not do the thing I really feel like God's calling me to do, and then finally giving into that. How do you think that kind of shaped later decisions or shaped your heart in a way that impacted your ministry? Well, I mean, it helped me to realize that, again, you know, if Jesus is Lord of my life, yeah. then I I have no right over any of it. I mean, I I don't have any right over, you know, half a percent of it. I mean, it's, it's 100% or nothing. And and so that's that has shaped me going forward, knowing that, you know, if I can trust him with my salvation, uh, you know, my my eternal salvation, knowing that I'm in his hands, Father's hands are around us, um, then you know, then why can't I trust him with these these smaller decisions of life? You know, what I'll be when I grow up, you know, where mm-hmm. you know where I'll go to school, uh, where I'll live, things of that nature. In other words, I'm willing, I'm willing to trust him to to save me for all of eternity. Uh, I, I need to be able to trust him, you know, in these other things as well. And so, you know, as Habakkuk would say, as Paul writes, you know, in yeah. Romans, um, you know, the just shall live by faith. And so, so seeking to do that each day, and just just knowing that it doesn't mean it'll be easy. It doesn't mean that um, following God's will 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 be. Um, uh, will always be fun and will always um, be be this a smooth smooth journey. But knowing yeah. that it will be filled with joy and at His right hand there are pleasures forevermore, and that has just really shaped the way I go forward in making decisions, realizing that um, that I can trust Him in those things. Yeah, I love that. I love that you mentioned Habakkuk too. It's one of my all-time favorite books. You know, mm-hmm. obviously the the Bible's all good, but. I love to watch his interaction with God in that book. It's just so funny because he just gets yeah. upset with God and then God answers him. And I know, man. Back. You know, it's like that. You know, he God basically says, "I'm going to do something." You don't. You want to understand it? Habakkuk. Habakkuk is basically saying, "Yeah, I, yeah, sure. Tell me, God. Tell me." And, and he tells him, and then Habakkuk comes back with another question. You know, yeah. I don't understand. He's like, "Wait, that's not how you're supposed to do it. That's not right. like that. That's not okay." And so then, yeah. you know, God answers that, and it, but he ends with worship, and I just think it makes uh-huh. so much kind of similar to your story, right? It just, at, at a certain point, you know, God is so faithful to wrestle with Habakkuk, and that doesn't have to do that, yeah. but he does, right. and he gives him answers and lets him kind of sit, and there's a, at one point he says, I'm going to sit down and wait and see what kind of answer I'm going to get. Uh-huh. And we don't know how long he waited. It could have been five minutes. It could have been two years. I don't know, but uh-huh. he waited on to see what God was going to say and God answered eventually. Yeah. I just, I, yeah. I just love that. So you mentioned back, like I had to, had to talk about him. And, and, you know, he's, he's so gracious. I mean, even, even with all the, what if questions, you know, if Lord, you're leading me to do this, if I do this, 
what if this happens? What if that happens? You know, those things always come. And and I think some of it comes from just, just you know, who we are. Uh, some of it, I think, oftentimes is the related to the fiery darts of the enemy. Mm-hmm. But, but, but the Lord is often gracious with, you know, with his, his sheep and, 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 and lets us express those concerns, you know, in a, in a, in a state of, a state of humility. I mean, even read through the Psalms. I mean, look at how transparent yeah. that those, you know, those passages are oftentimes, right. um, you know, and it made it into God's book. Oh yeah. I love that. Uh, okay. So you, you decided you're going to have to be a pastor. Where did that, so did you go to school? Did you, mm-hmm. where, where'd you end up with that? Yes. Yeah, so, so I went to the university of Kentucky and, uh, while I was there, I, well, actually before I got there, because again, you know, we, we imitate what we know and we know what's modeled before us. And so the only model of pastoral ministry that I had known, um, came from two, two pastors that I had had been under while I was a part of this church. And both of those those brothers uh, had gone to seminary. And so all I knew was that, okay, if you're going to pastor, you've got to go to seminary. Now, I know that that's not true. Uh, oh, sure. in, in fact, uh, even here at Brook Hills, we, we see the Lord calling out guys. We do training and equipping guys here, and they're, they're sent out to pastor churches. Uh, in fact, we, we, we are praying and expecting the Lord to call out other brothers that will remain mechanics and school teachers and high school principals and auto workers um, and bankers and, and still pastors. So so I, I know that now, but at the time, then, all I knew was, okay, I've got to go to seminary. So I found out that I couldn't go straight to seminary, that I had to have my undergraduate degree. Right. And so I went to the University of Kentucky. And uh, and even while I was there, uh, I, I intentionally immersed myself in a Christian organization. I uh, was heavily involved in in doing outreach evangelism on on our campus, and and just taking opportunities just to prepare myself, learn how to better teach God's word, even small groups, and uh, and as local churches would would have a pastor on vacation or something like that, I you know let people know my availability and, and had some time to, to, to fill uh, the pulpit while some of those pastors were gone. So uh, graduated from from college and then um, actually I would, toward the end of my college career, I started having conversations with a congregation in central Kentucky and uh, graduated on one Saturday and then, uh, actually it's funny, graduated on one Saturday, got married the next Saturday while we were on our honeymoon, the church called us uh, to be wow. there. And so so I started pastoring a few months actually before I went to seminary. And then um, went to school that fall uh, working on my, my master's degree. And, and the Lord later on opened up an opportunity for me to, to pursue Ph.D. studies. Uh, but but yeah, so it, it was it, again that what was modeled before me, that's all that I knew. And so I try I, I went through college as fast as I possibly could <laughs> because. I wanted to to go on seminary because I thought, okay, that's what you got to do. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't hurt if you're going to be a pastor. Is that <laughs> certainly, yeah, yeah. And I, and but I spent, you're right. I spent ten years as a full time professor in a seminary, and I still do adjunct teaching. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not anti seminary at all. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, I I got an MDiv at Denver Seminary here. Uh-huh. Yeah. It took me nine years to get a three year degree. So that's uh-huh. that's my experience with seminary. But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's great. So I want to ask you this question. 
did, have you ever had a time when you felt like God was far away or you were angry with him or you had kind of difficulty with God? And I, I, I me personally, I, I cannot say that I've ever felt like there was a time when he, he was, he seemed far away. There have been, there have been times where it felt like my, my prayers were not getting above the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um, the there have been times where it has felt like um, I'm not seeing him move, uh, I'm not seeing his hand at work, and there's just this. You're talking about Habakkuk waiting, just th- this waiting and waiting and waiting. That um, not only not only would be you know maybe weeks, but has actually been over you know a few years, and so yeah. even in those times, my feelings went one way but my heart and my mind or my mind excuse me would go back to the word what does the word say what does the word say and just constantly you know reminded of the fact that that i will never leave you i'll never forsake you uh all those passages about god's eminence is you know he's, he's real he's there with you even though you're waiting even though um you know you're not you're not seeing the olives on the olive tree or, you know, the, the, the fruit on the vine and you're having yeah. to wait and wait, knowing that he's still in control. I, I've gone through those times and, and I know that there are others that have felt, you know, have, have felt like there are times when it seems like God has abandoned them. Um, I, I can't speak from experience on that, but, but I know what it's like to wait and pray and not see and need an answer now, or at least I think I need an answer. Right. Right. So you said you had a, a period, maybe like a few years even of that. How did that end? Did God do anything? Do you have any kind of experience or just mm-hmm. something happened? Yeah. Um, well, in that, in that situation, um, the point of transition from not seeing something to seeing something happen, happened very fast, um, very quickly. And um and several responses to to prayer that had been going on for some time happening happening again several responses within a matter of just a few days and again i couldn't script it i couldn't you know i couldn't plan any of that it was just a matter of god's timing sure and so to look back and think oh my you know i had to wait two years for that or three years for that uh you know i'm thankful god protected me from that but um but just constantly reminding me to pray without ceasing, continue to walk with him. Uh, but yeah, in those situations, sometimes, you know, he moved very, very quickly. Now, I don't think that that's always the case. I mean, in some cases there'll be, there'll be things that we will, we won't see answered the way that we desire to see them answered. And, and we trust in God and his will and his plan, you know, his purpose, and he's the good shepherd. Uh, some things will, you know, will will be answered, but will be a result of of being answered in our glorification, our glorified state with Him and, and His return. But but for me, that you know, that was sort of how I, I saw something sure. come about in my life. Yeah, I like to ask, ask that question because I think it does. Like those periods are definitely the case. You know, that we mm-hmm. have, those things happen, and um, I just I want to kind of talk about them you know and they're so. and they're 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 frustrating you know yeah. i think we if we're really honest uh and it's good to talk about them i mean it, i think if we're really honest they're frustrating times um you know there i think there's a good reason why one of the uh one of the elements of the fruit of the spirit is that of patience <laughs> and 
God give me right. patience now. Uh, it's kind of our prayer, but it, but there, but those times are frustrating. And there have been times where I've found a lot of comfort in the Psalms, where you have the psalmist who's crying mm-hmm. out to God, you know, how long, oh Lord, how long is this going to happen? And and so just just being able to, again, in a spirit of humility, knowing that um, you know deep are God's thoughts, you know, great, mighty are His works, and you know, it, you know, His thoughts are not our thoughts, His ways are not our ways. You know, coming to Him in that sense, uh, with that perspective, and venting frustration like the psalmist does, I think it's healthy. I think it's not a bad thing. Yeah. I think where it becomes unhealthy is where we begin to question God's character and, um, you know, even, or even, um, you know, disbelieve and, and cease to, to walk by faith in, in who he is. And, and, but I think the Psalms have, have a great deal, not just the Psalms, but I mean, just the poetry writings in general of, of seeing characters throughout the scriptures, uh, express their, their frustrations and their upsets, um, to yeah. the Lord in those times. Yeah, absolutely. Well, great. Um, all right, so I want to kind of transition a little bit here because I love hearing your story, but we talked a little bit about some of the things that you do. You have you have a podcast, and mm-hmm. do you want to tell us a little bit about that? It's uh, you said it's called Strike the Match mm-hmm. with JD Payne. Yeah, Strike the Match. So it's uh, really focused on issues related to missions, uh, innovation, and leadership, and so trying to help people think my blog uh is called missiologically thinking so so the podcast while it's sort of standalone from the blog it's still leaning and pressing into into what does it mean to make disciples and and see those people sharing the gospel across their social networks and how can you help church leaders uh, and church members think about living and being a part of the body of Christ in a world that's constantly in change. And so the element mm-hmm. of leadership and innovation, uh, those are critical components as well. I'll have guests on sometime very similar to what kind of what we're doing right now. Sometimes it'll just be me in the microphone uh, addressing a particular topic and uh, usually around, you know, average probably about 30 minutes per episode. I'm, sure. I'm in season three right now. Yeah, cool. Very cool. Well, I love that. I will definitely be checking it out. Well, well, thanks, man, because I probably about two listeners, and so you can make number three. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's... my mom, you know, my my wife. And there you go. There yeah, you right. Go. <laughs> um, yeah, we get a few, you know. So maybe somebody <laughs> here will, if they're looking for good content. And like I, I told you earlier, we have some. I spoke to a lot of missionaries, people doing missionary work around the world, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so, you know, I think there's a probably a good a good contingent of people who'd be interested in things like that. Um, yeah, there. At least at this point in time, there just there are not um, a lot of uh, podcasts that's focused on missions that's out yeah. there. Um, I think it's starting to grow, but you know, as you well know, I mean, I mean, podcasting world right now is really hot, and so it's kind of a kind of a innovative kind of market, if I can use that terminology. And sure. so, so there's there's still a lot of lot of room for others to come on board and oh, get yeah. involved in podcasting. Well, as you might imagine, I'm passionate about podcasting. And uh-huh. Christian podcasting. I started a group yeah. on Facebook called the Christian Podcasters Association. I have to try to get you in there, but um, I would love to check that out. I yeah, would. we try to talk about just the challenges of you know everything from marketing to our show to sharing our show with each other. And I've seen some 
different connections be made there uh, between the people in the group and between me and the group. And uh, I just love that. But I really think that it's a way that we can get the message out, not just whatever particular focus God has given us, but also the mm-hmm. gospel kind of goes with it at the same time. And so, right. yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, definitely all in on that. Uh, That's great. The question I should have asked you before I asked you about your podcast was missions, because you've got this, you're, you've got a focus on missions mm-hmm. and we didn't really close that gap. So tell me, tell me a little bit about how that became a, a passion of yours between kind of going to seminary and then, and then, as you were pastoring and up between then and now. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I, I've all in the whole Ephesians four eleven. he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Uh, my, my, my bent, my calling, my wiring is, uh, is in that pastor teacher category. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was actually in my, uh, when I, in my seminary studies, when I was doing my MDiv work, that I had, I, I, I needed, again, talking about getting through college as fast as I could to get to seminary. Uh, when I got into seminary, I felt like the Lord wanted me to to teach in academia and keep a foot in the field in the local church world as well. And so in order to do that, I needed to go on and do PhD studies. Sure. So I was trying to get through my, my graduate studies as fast as I could. And there was, and I had mapped, I was the guy who would always map out his hours and look at the calendar, you know, or, you know, a year in advance and figure out how many classes I need to take to be able to make it by this date of graduation and all this. And, um, and I needed a three hour evangelism elective course to be able to make my personal timeline, uh, to finish on time and, or finish in my, my time. And, uh, the only thing that was offered that summer in the month of June, I think it was June, was a course called Introduction to Church Planting. It was uh, being taught by a man named Charles Brock, uh, whom I did not know, and uh, it was all that was offered, and so I had to take it, and so I took it. I knew that this thing called church planting was important, but I didn't didn't think it was that important, and that w- that class, probably halfway through that class, the Lord uh, took me in a completely different direction. If there was ever sort of a, of a po- if there was ever sort of a, a post-conversion Damascus Road experience, yeah. um, uh, that would be one of those, you know, in addition to my calling in the vocational ministry. The, 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 it took place in that class, and it was, it was really opening my eyes to seeing how simple uh, disciple-making and teaching people obedience and teaching them how to gather together as local expressions of the body of Christ and, and seeing those cultural expressions come about and seeing that gospel spread and how simple, how simple and re- highly reproducible it could be and how at the same time in my church culture and traditions and preferences, I'd made this thing about following Jesus and being a part of his church very complex. Mm. And and so when I really returned to the scriptures and saw the simplicity of, or the, the simple nature of it, um, that, that the Lord has really changed my perspective on on um, on ecclesiology, on things related to global disciple making, and and really began to 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 see the need of of training Christian leaders, uh, training pastors in particular uh, to to catch a global vision for the 5 billion people without a relationship with Christ and to help better equip them to therefore better 
equip and call out people that they're serving and leading yeah. uh, to make disciples. So that was that was sort of the the journey into the world of missions for me. Um, it, it was again, I was not expecting it, and I was going my own way, trying to get finished as fast as I could. And that that one class, that one summer, uh, has radically uh, shaped. Mm. Uh, who I am, my writing, even this book, you know, that we're talking about yeah. today. If it had not been for that class, I, yeah, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Oh, that's so interesting. I love those little things, those little moments <laughs> where, where God kind of just turns the thing, you yeah. know. You go, oh, okay, we're going that way, and that's that's what I need to do. Yeah. Wow, interesting. Okay, well, so let's do turn to the book now, and uh, so the book's called Roland Allen's. The Ministry of Expansion, The Priesthood of the Laity. And that mm-hmm. really caught my eye because um, I think that's that's fascinating. We don't talk a lot about laity very much. Mm-hmm. What was interesting about this for you? Or I guess we should set it up. So it's a it's basically the works some works from Roland Allen, who was a missionary mm-hmm. in the nineteenth century, early twentieth century. Is that right? That's he, well. His missionary service started right at the turn of the of the okay. century. Uh, Anglican. He was an Anglican priest. Uh, he went to uh, went to the field. Um, died in 1947, but he went to the field and spent some time in China around the turn of the 20th century. He uh, he is most known for uh, two books, even though he was very prolific uh, prolific writer. Um, he's known mainly for his book, uh, Missionary Methods, St. Paul's or Ours. Uh, he published that in 1912. And uh, then in 1927, he published a book called The Spontaneous Expansion of the Church. Uh, Allen, in his day, had very little, he had very little influence on people around him. Uh, uh, his influence was starting to grow in the latter years of his life. But uh, a, a story, kind of a little snippet of a story that his grandson tells. His grandson approached uh, his grandfather, Roland Allen, uh, when he was uh, probably around 12 years old. And he said, you know, grandfather, he called him Grandfur. He said, Grandfur, can I, can I read your writings? And uh, Roland Allen said, you can read my writings, but you will not understand them. No one will understand them until I've been dead for about 10 years. So he died in 1947, and it wasn't completely a decade, but it was very close to it before others across the globe began to listen to what he had to say. And so a lot of what he said was related to moving away from Western cultural Christianity and moving more toward when we when we see people come into the kingdom throughout the majority world, like in China, parts of Asia, parts of Africa, let's take let's take as little of our cultural preferences and traditions as possible, and let's take them the scriptures, teach them obedience, and as as best as we can with God's word and the Holy Spirit, let's allow the, those cultural expressions to come from out of the context, out of the people themselves. Because in Allen's day and time, there was this there was this yeah. equation in the minds of people throughout the majority world, and it was to be a follower of Jesus meant that you had to think and act and live uh, like a European or like a North American. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 wedding of the gospel with Western Christianity was so tight that it was not separated 
uh, in the minds of most people. And so you can imagine what that would do uh, if someone from your family, your tribe, your village came to faith and and all of a sudden the people's thought, OK, in order for us to follow Jesus, we have to think like a British citizen. In other words, the right. people weren't even getting to the stumbling block of the cross. They were getting to the stumbling block of, of cultural preferences. Right. So Alan spoke out against that a great deal in his day. So so to get to this book, what what we what you have here is uh, before he died in the late 30s, uh, he, he wrote a manuscript called The Ministry of Expansion, uh, The Priesthood of the Laity, and it was never published. And it has sat in uh, Oxford Library uh, for, you know, since that time. And uh, as of just this year, uh, we, we published it with William Carey. And, um, and there's the book, the uh, manuscript that, uh, yeah. that's been hiding out in the corner of a library for, for almost 80 years. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so what did you learn from it? And yeah, Well, first of all, how did you get the opportunity to even edit it? Yeah, so that's, that's a fascinating story as well. So I, I've been I've been an, uh, an Allen scholar for for some time, and okay. I've read another book on him and done articles on him, things like that, and knew of this work. I knew of this unpublished manuscript. Wanted to get to Oxford to study it and and write write a biography on the man. And I ended up doing a biography, but it wasn't what I wanted it to be in nineteen or excuse me in twenty twelve. But uh, it did not involve me getting to Oxford and laying hands on this manuscript. Yeah. So about three years ago, uh, I get this email uh, from two individuals. One uh, individual was, uh, was someone from Chicago, and the other one was um, uh, from Roland Allen's grandson. And they wrote me and they said, we've been trying to get this unpublished manuscript published. We cannot find anyone in the UK that wants to publish it. Wow. Uh, they knew about my blog. They knew what I was doing. They said, "Could you, uh, could you just put this in a PDF and we'll just put it out there, on the, online?" Well, I knew that that was good, but I also knew that that this this document had such a historical uh, significance that it needed to live in some libraries across the world for other scholars and others, you know, that would come along, you know, behind us. So I asked if I could contact one of my publishers and see if they'd be interested. And so uh, they said, okay. So as soon as I contacted William Carey out of, out of Pasadena, I uh, told them I had this unpublished Roland Allen manuscript. They immediately said, we'll publish it. Wow. So uh, so the, the heart of the book is this manuscript about Allen's views, uh, but uh, myself and, and four other Allen scholars, including Allen's grandson, have contributed chapters to the book as well. Oh, that's awesome. You you asked me about what I've learned from this. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I guess the thing is, is that it, it's it's it for me it, as an Alan scholar, just seeing the changes in his thinking. But uh, but particularly, uh, the, the I guess the big takeaway is we asking the question, uh, what happens um, when on uh, Alan's particularly talking about the mission field, but but particularly, uh, what should be the response uh, of the church when uh, our cultural preferences are unable to keep up with the work of the Spirit. Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, and <laughs> so so that's really a big takeaway because Alan was dealing with a lot of those cultural preferences in, in this book on, on the um, ministry of expansion. Oh, Things were happening on the field that the, the Anglican Church could not keep up with culturally speaking. Uh -huh. And... Um, 
And he was saying, we're, we're stifling the sanctification of these new believers in these new churches because we're expecting them to do things our way um, when they could do things just biblically expressed in their culture. And, and in particular, he's talking about in this book, the issue of communion and who can oversee the communion table if you don't have if you don't have people that can go through the Anglican process of ordination. Wow. Uh, which would involve not only you know, being a Chinese person, having to learn English and going through right. educational processes and seminary and then ordination council and all that. Oh, so, so fascinating. Because even even back then, you know, the denominational differences around communion would have been much a, a much bigger deal than they are today. Right. Uh, although maybe for some they are, but mm-hmm. most of us don't really think about that the same as as they would have, you know, a hundred or several hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Would have been a much bigger deal. Fascinating, but yeah. I love yeah. that. Interesting. Well, I think um, so. He he was probably a little bit ahead of his time, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. I mean, even even today, I mean, uh, yeah. that that thinking would definitely ruffle ruffle some feathers. But but what you what you had back in you know the early twentieth century was uh, again uh, Protestant missionaries went. They preached the gospel. People came to faith, churches were planted, and then, okay, now what? Well, if you look biblically, if, if biblically church planting is evangelism that results in new churches, those, those churches have to have pastoral leadership. I mean, you can't get you can't get past the first missionary journey. You can't get past 1 Timothy 3. You can't get past Titus chapter 1. You know, Titus 1, 5, Titus, the reason I left you on Crete was to, uh, you know, put what remains in order and appoint elders in every town. I mean, you can't get past that. And so it's a part of a healthy church. And and so Allen and his Anglican tradition at the time was that, okay, well, who can oversee communion? Well, you have to have an ordained priest. And so if you've only got one ordained priest in, in this region of China who literally rides a circuit, he may be able to only, only visit, he may be able to move around the circuit, you know, once or twice a year and may only be able to visit, you know, a church maybe once a year, sometimes wow. longer than that. So what is that church going to do in the meantime? Well, in their tradition, they don't have communion. They can't have it. Oh man. And Alan, and why couldn't they have it? They couldn't have it because the the potential men in those congregations were were light years away from ever obtaining the educational uh, standard of the British Anglican priest. And so Alan was basically saying, look at what the Holy Spirit's doing. Let's go back to the scriptures. Uh, is there not allowance on the mission field for us to to do something differently? Uh, and and he would say yes, there was. Wow. So he was saying, if God's moving, let's go. Yeah, right. But he would always now. Now here's the interesting thing. Alan was a very high church Anglican. I mean, he sure. was he was almost he was almost Roman Catholic. Uh, but he and he and he lived throughout his whole life that way. But he recognized that on the field mission field, what we call the majority world today in mission circles, uh, within biblical parameters, there was this great a great deal of allowances that could be made when it comes to cultural issues. And so, uh, you know, his, his 1912 book, Missionary Methods, St. Paul's or Ours, uh, just that title alone um, showed what he was up against, Missionary Methods, um, St. Paul's or ours. So it's like, okay, it's either Paul's or ours, black and white. And so Alan was very much pushing up against um, a lot of cultural preferences, preferences that he held near and dear to his heart, 
but he recognized that there 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 was within the scripture uh, some wide wide parameters that would allow for different manifestations in the body of Christ. Yeah, which is always kind of a helpful helpful understanding, I think, to be accepting of uh-huh. other people who believe, even if they don't do the same kind of things that right. you would do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Okay. Well, what else should we know about uh, Roland Allen um, before we wrap up here? Yeah, he he has had, I believe, more influence on evangelical missions or missionaries today, uh, especially those involved in church planting activities anywhere on the planet. He's he's had more influence than 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 probably anyone in the 20th century. He uh, was incredibly influential on Donald McGavern, who was the dean of the School World Mission out of Fuller for for many years, from about 65 up until the late 80s. Um, he has had uh, tremendous influence on shaping people's thinking about the role of the Holy Spirit in missions, uh, on the role of uh, what we call uh, indigenous, or now what we refer to as contextualized leadership. So how do you raise up leaders out of the harvest? Uh, he's had an incredible amount of of influence on conversations related to church planting movements or disciple making movements. Uh, most most church planters today uh, have Roland Allen's fingerprints all over them. Wow. No matter where they are on the planet, no matter what their denomination, they just don't know it. <laughs> and it's amazing. I uh, I've lectured. Uh, there's one school where I, I teach as an adjunct that uh, there are several Anglican students there. And uh, I'm always surprised at the number of Anglican students, young students, that uh, have have little to no knowledge of Roland Allen, uh, yet he has had an incredible amount of influence on evangelical global missions today. Not only not only in uh, work that's come out of North America and Western Europe, but his influence uh, across parts of Africa and even parts of Asia is, is very strong, and and a lot of people don't don't know where that goes back to, and, and I'd say it goes back to Roland Allen. Oh, I love that. I Just even from a church history perspective, to go trace this line kind of back yeah. through history to this to this one person and see the influence that he's had. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in some of those places that you mentioned, the church is blossoming and, and blooming. That's exactly um, right. As, yeah. as a result of some of that. So that just that sends shivers down my spine. I love it, because I love that, that God, you know, you never know how God's going to use you, and and uh, whether it's you or me or you know our friends listening to this, it's right. uh, God. God is working, and uh, to see that thread through history just gives me a little thrill. Yeah. So that's cool. great, man. All right. Well, I the book is called again Roland Allen's The Ministry of Expansion: The Priesthood of the Lady. I'm sure you can get it on Amazon, and it will mm-hmm. be linked in the show notes. You can go to halfwaytherepodcast.com. Show notes will be right there. You can uh, pick that out. Um, you also have, are the author and editor of twelve other books. So I'll mm-hmm. I'll, put a, I'll put a link to your page so that people can find those if they're interested. Well, thank you, thank you so and, much. Uh, that'll be good. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you or find out more? Yeah, it's yeah. My my, my blog is really easy. Um, just jdpayne.org. My Twitter address is jd underscore pain it's jd underscore p-a-y-n-e uh email address is always great uh jpain at brookhills.org it's my 
uh, personal address you want to have here with the church. Pretty easy to find. If I could be of any uh, any help to anyone, feel free to reach out and contact me. If I don't know the answer, I'll try to find someone else to, to help out your listeners. That's awesome. Well, I will link all of that in the show notes. Thanks, JD, for being here. Thanks for sharing your story and a little bit about Roland Allen. That was really insightful, and I, I enjoyed it a lot. My pleasure, Eric, and thank you for what you're doing, brother, and been a blessing being with you. 